Welcome to Earbuds and Earworms. I'm Amy, don't know nothing about no Jeopardy Shepherd, and this is... Mitchell Manley, notable knower of things. <laughs> you are like the the trivia dude when it comes to... Yeah, there's like, you know, uh, you know, there's things that you, there's things that we know, and then there's things that we don't know, but of the things that we know, <laughs> I know them. And I'm, and I'm noted for knowing those things, so I'm a noted knower of things. And yeah, dude, I used to watch I used to watch so much pop-up video. That was my jam when I was a um, kid. I've always appreciated the fact that you're not the person who like declares them the knower of all things, but you do know most of the things. But there are some people right. who say that they know everything about yeah. the Beatles, which I'm like, it's not that hard. There have been like so many books written about the Beatles and stuff like that. Like all that trivia is known. Right. So I was my my concern this week was I would have to like choose a Beatles song that I know is like about a sheepdog or something. Sure. <laughs> um, what made you think of this? Was you said it was an ear buddy suggestion, right? Yeah, our new ear buddy Jenny uh, submitted this one to me, and I thought it was a really brilliant, uh, a really brilliant theme. You know, because uh, like I said, I I love trivia. I know she said that she also loves trivia, and you know, I think pretty much all of our ear buddies kind of pride themselves on on knowing obscure facts about the bands and music that we listen to. So I figured it was a, a, a good shot. To and take we have all that time to focus on learning about stuff right now, too. That's true. Yay! Time for focusing on learning and research and all that. Yeah. What did you bring this week? I'm going to start us off with Dan Reeder and his song, The Weather is a Dead Man. In chapter one, we'll be discussing I need a tube amplifier to express my inner feelings followed by an in-depth review that's what you said about the saxophone but speaking of the weather the weather is a dead man the weather is a dead man as the semester ends, we'll be concentrating on why you can't stand to see me having fun. Closing with a summary statement based on the concept, oh, come on. But speaking of the weather, the weather is a dead man, the weather is a dead man. See, I've, I've brought Dan Reeder a couple times in the past. Uh, he's one of my favorite musicians and songwriters. He just never fails to impress me with his wit and simplicity. Uh, he almost never plays shows, and he was signed to uh, John Prine's record label based solely on an unsolicited demo that Dan sent to John Prine. And if you know anything about the music industry, sending an unsolicited demo is usually like the worst way to get your music out there. So the fact that John Prine took the time to listen and was actually like so impressed that he signed Dan to his record label is just a massive 
testament to how unique and special Dan Reader's music is. Uh, another really interesting bit of trivia about Dan Reader that I've mentioned in the past is that he's insanely crafty. He makes almost all of his instruments from scratch, including his guitars. Uh, on this track, we hear him using an instrument that he built called a paper banjo, which is like a three-string kind of fretless banjo uh, with a body made of like cheap cardstock. Uh, he also builds gut bucket bases out of like old barrels and trash cans, and he creates and wires his own really simple amplifiers and preamps. Just a very smart, very crafty guy, and uh, I think more folks should know about him. So, Preamps? What are preamps? Okay, so when you are recording music, you uh, will run a microphone into a preamp before it actually goes into your console. So like for instance, whatever your Zoom recorder that you use is technically a preamp. So Oh, uh, so it, I'm it, using it like a preamp. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's just basically before before it hits the amplifier. So in, in terms of a guitar, you would use uh, you know, something to shape your guitar tone, a preamp, before it goes into your actual amplifier to make that sound louder. So kind of like effects, effects pedals are kind of a version of a preamp, but not really, but kind of. That's what I was about to ask is like if pedals were those things, but there's, there's just, yeah. Um, when it comes to Dan readers, there's just like always such a cleverness in his lyrics. And even when they're like so biting and almost mean, they're like cozy. Um, this sound mm -hmm. uh, from the, I guess the paper ja uh, banjo is a little bit like a little bitty old jaw harp with, which, you know, is just like one metal thingy that you put in your teeth or whatever but it's like warmer and the way he's playing this almost feels like a sitar and it's just like super sim simple and complex huh i said it's really warbly which is a you know i think that's the jaw harp kind of sound that you're hearing the sitar kind of sound that paper banjo is just like very warbly yeah, it's like that, and I think that maybe because it is a three-string instrument, it almost falls into, like, a not traditional scale system, because it has kind of that yeah, feel definitely. to it. Yeah. I didn't know what to bring this week, so I got one trivia, and it's about Boston, the launch. I really don't know anything about music trivia, so I decided to pick some random trivia that my dad like geeked out about um, 20 years ago in the living room when he got like this album on CD, which I assume he presumably had like on A-Track or whatever before, and he forced us all to listen to it on like this 
like really old boombox situation very loudly in the living room and just was like super stoked um about it because he he like just kept mentioning that the processor was like the size of a sandwich and I always thought that was like super interesting but then I had to find out what he was talking about and it was um I guess the Rockman amplifier and it's some sort of processor or amplifier I don't know I'm, I'm not like really good with the electronics but either way this is the most amazing example of the big sound that was so impressive to my dad that came out of this thing that was a sandwich. Um, especially when you think about this was the time before like laptops when this was made. And it's just, I don't know, it's really big and epic. And I guess this is hair rock, but you know, whatever. I got my one little bit of trivia. No, it definitely works. Uh, yeah, this song is just super epic sounding. I don't think I'd ever actually heard it. It's, you know, uh, it seems to be just like a sort of interstitial instrumental track. But it's just very epic sounding. The the guitar tones are really spacey sounding here, which is kind of a change up from a lot of Boston's hits, which had like the very crisp, sharp guitar tones, really triumphant sounding, kind of reminiscent of like Brian May from Queen or something. But here, I think Tom Scholz is just showing off that Rockman processor, uh, which has like a very particular distortion sound to it and some compression and echo and just really beefs up those lead guitars, those solo guitars so that they cut through that really triumphant fanfare of like synths and bass. Uh, and that processor was masterminded and created by Tom Schultz and uh, a company that he started. And so, you know, I was going to talk about how impressive it was that he was working on stuff like this during a time when Boston was probably pretty huge. But uh, I read that this album, which was their third record, took them six years to finish, <laughs> which in the 70s and 80s was kind of unheard of for a major label band. Usually the label was like, let's get that next record out right here, right now, slam it out. But Apparently, it took them six years of, of going back and forth to get this thing done. So uh, I'm, I'm willing to bet that Boston probably has a lot of really cool trivia that I didn't know about. And so now I'm kind of inspired to go for a deep dive into Boston. So, I mean, you're usually on the sound side of this a lot more than I am. So had you heard of the Rockman processor before? Only in passing. I never really knew much about it. But now, like, I, I Googled it and I was like, oh, I've definitely seen this. I've seen this in people's pedal boards a bunch. Uh, it's a very classic sounding uh, piece of gear. Yeah, I was surprised that it's something that um, people still use a lot of. And I think it's still manufactured, which I found like, oh. oh, that's really cool. That's something that was like, you know, came up like it started in this first time of like, I guess, these like small processors. And um, I don't know. My dad was an electronics geek and he taught stuff about electronics. So I can see why he totally got excited about this thing, even though like uh, the rest of the family was like, uh-huh. Because <laughs> uh-huh. it was the early 90s when he was making us listen to this. Our ear buddies came with a ton of uh, of selections and a ton of knowledge that they dropped on us. Like like it wasn't no big deal. Um, our first ear buddy is Jenny who, bought, uh, who brought Bonnie Raitt's I Can't Make You Love Me If You Don't. Cause I can't make you love me if you don't. You can't make your heart feel something it won't Here in the dark In these final hours I will lay down my heart And I feel 
She says, always thought Bonnie Raitt's I Can't Make You Love Me If You Don't was just a basic ballad about people falling out of love, but it was actually written about a man who shot up his girlfriend's car. The judge asked the man if he had learned anything, and the man surprised him by saying, I learned, your honor, that you can't make a woman love you if she don't. The song was also written by former NFL lineman Mike Reed. Between seasons, he was a pianist for several symphony orchestras across the U.S. He also, he's also the only NFL player to ever win a Grammy, winning for a country song he wrote in 1984. This had a football thing that was unexpected. Um, it's yeah, a, it's like a, yeah, it's like, it's such a pretty ballad and it comes from a time when ballads were like the thing. Like if you're going to write a song, it's going to be a ballad. Um, the resignation in like Bonnie Raitt's voice is like so fabulous. And I don't know, I think, um, we've always, we always have to get there sometimes when we're in a broken relationship is like, well, I can't, can't make it work. Can't force somebody to love me. So I, I just... It's such a good ballad. Like, I've never even really thought about the lyrics before this. Yeah, so so I usually try to abstain from slow jams on the podcast because we try to keep things fairly upbeat to give our very talky podcast some extra energy. But uh, <laughs> this is just one of my all-time favorite songs. And since Jenny gave us the theme this week, I couldn't pass this one up. Uh, it's one of the most understatedly emotive vocal performances that I've ever heard. You can really feel that passion and the hurt in her voice, but she doesn't really have to lean on like vocal theatrics to get the point across. It's all just perfect vocal delivery. Uh, the piano part is just heart-wrenching. The chord suspensions between the piano and Bonnie Raitt's voice and the way that they interact just gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. Uh, and, of course, I had no idea who actually wrote it and didn't know the actual story that inspired the song. So it's just a perfect jam to start the Earbuddy section this week. Uh, I feel like this would have been a perfect pop-up video, like, little graphic thing, you know? Yeah, Like, I agree. this was actually about a guy who shot up his girlfriend's car. <laughs> <laughs> Like that would have been that. Would, I'm sure that exists. I'm sure, right? It's got to surely. I, I'm gonna look up pop up video Bonnie Raitt. <laughs> um, our next ear buddy is Jason, who brought Warren Zephon's Werewolves of London. Howling around your kitchen door. You better not let him in. Little old lady got mutilated late last night. Werewolves of London again. Gent who ran amok in Kent. Lately, he's been overheard in Mayfair. He says, I love Warren Zephon, but I intensely hated the song until I heard the story behind it. Warren Zephon was Phil Everly's musical director for most of his tours in the early 70s. By this point, Phil was well past his glory days with the Everly brothers and had a reputation with his band for being notoriously unhip. In one conversation, he remarked to Zephon that what the kids needed nowadays was a new dance craze and suggested the Werewolves of London. 
Everly was also a huge fan of B-horror movies. Zephon, thinking the idea was so ridiculous and out of touch with current times, decided to actually write the song as a goof on Don Everly and had his biggest hit. Warren Zephon is one of those, like, names that I've heard a million times and I've just, like, never known what or who to connect it with. And they really should just, when they, like, tell me that I've definitely heard a song, just go ahead and play the song because... I would have totally known this song. It's the, it's so good. It goes, oh, I love that part. That's my favorite part. <laughs> um, that piano hook is amazing. And yeah, like, come on. I, it could totally be like a really great dance craze. And who doesn't want to do such like a melodic howl? Yeah, the ohs and uh, there's a line in there that has a bunch of alliteration. There's a line that's a little old lady got mutilated late last night. And it's just the way he says it all mushed together. <laughs> a little old lady got mutilated late last night. It's just so hilarious to listen <laughs> to. But uh, yeah, I have to assume that that most of the ear buddies have heard the song a million times. But I never knew that story, so I figured it'd be a great inclusion this week. Uh, I had no idea that there was even a connection between Warren Zevon and the Everly Brothers. So that alone was big news to me. But you know, now it just it makes total sense that the song was meant to be a a tongue in cheek take on like the trendy dance crazes and the abundance of songs that had no real substance, but were just kind of attempts to start a dance craze and try to get famous. Uh, I also dug a little deeper and found out that several other big names are associated with the song. It was actually produced by Jackson Brown, and it has Mick Fleetwood and John McVie, the the drummer and bassist from Fleetwood Mac. Uh, and before they settled on those two to play on the song, they also tried Jeff Percaro, who's the drummer for Toto, like virtuosic, amazing drummer. Uh, and they had Linda Ronstadt on background vocals, but ended up not using her uh, her vocals on the final cut. Uh, and then I've, I read this like hilarious anecdote that is all too common when you're recording music. Uh, apparently after about two takes, Warren and most of the band thought that they had, had it down or were ready to move on, but Mick Fleetwood wanted to keep going and they apparently just retract and retract like 50 something times until like seven in the next morning or whatever. And then after all of that ended up using the second take anyway. And so uh, <laughs> that, that happens so much when you're recording music where you're like, just wear it out and you're like, ah, the second one was good enough. Fuck this. And yeah, it just, it, <laughs> this one had a lot more like going on than I initially would have thought. So I'm glad that we were able to feature it, even though it's a song that most folks have already heard, you know, where was a London little old lady get mutilated little lady that night. <laughs> I just love it so much. Um, <laughs> Ben is our next ear buddy. He brings the Sleepy Jackson God Lead Your Soul. Uh, this song is from one of my top 10 albums. A friend once referred to it as quintessential Ricketts core. 
I adore it so much and it includes most qualities that I love in music. So this band is fronted by an Australian man named Luke Steele. He was living the rock and roll lifestyle for use uh, for years, supposedly with a drug habit and such a zealous uh, devotion to his band that he fired his brother for perceived disloyalty. Their first record and collection of EPs are really amazing and kind of uh, psyched out country. He kicks drugs, finds religion, and writes this album dealing with very high-minded God and Satan themes. Most of the record consists of himself overdubbed just an insane amount of times, especially in terms of background vocals. A drummer, a huge orchestra, never finding significant success outside of Australia. He begins collaborating with Nick Littlemore of Australian uh, electronic duo Now. And uh, forms a duo called Empire of the Sun, which be- which becomes massively successful worldwide with songs like Walking on a Dream and We Are the People. I love Empire of the Sun, but nothing Steele has done touches me so deeply as this album. I could honestly put almost any track out uh, here, but I chose this one for the general poppiness and video. Jeez. This is just, like, so big and dramatic. It's, like, very spacey, and the overdub is sublime. I, like... I think if they had the 70s pop, like, uh, if 70s pop had, like, technology, this is what they would have totally made because, like, I'm pretty sure they were reaching for this sound and just never got there. Um, I'm definitely going to have to delve more into, like, Sleepy Jackson. And Empire of the Sun is one of those bands that I know I've heard songs from, but I can't, like, put my finger on it. Yeah, I'm almost positive you've heard their song "Walking on a Dream." It's it's in a lot of uh, I think it's been in some commercials, but it's in a lot of like promotions for TV shows and things like that as well. It's pretty uh, popular jam in pop culture. Uh, I remember coming across the Sleepy Jackson a long time ago. I think they were like performing on some late night show. It may have been like one of the late night talk shows, but I actually think it was Last Call with Carson Daly of all things. Um, and I just remember being really impressed with what I saw, but I didn't really follow up or think too much about him until I met Ben. And by that time I was a fan of Empire of the Sun, uh, who, if you haven't heard them, you know, they're like really great synthy poppy jams. A lot of it sounds kind of like MGMT, but just a bit more consistent. Uh, but I was a fan of Empire of the Sun and never knew it was the same guy from Sleepy Jackson. So I was super glad when Ben put him back in my headspace, um, their music's really unique, really well produced. I can definitely hear a lot of the spacey, chill atmospherics that he went on to use in Empire of the Sun, and it fits in equally well in this, you know, more folksy, traditional sound as it does in the trippier, more psychedelic stuff of Empire of the Sun. Uh, I also didn't realize how much like really great orchestration and arrangement was going on in the Sleepy Jacks and stuff, and those horns and the strings and the bells really help sell it and make it just relentlessly catchy. Uh, so yeah, I think we all should be listening to more Sleepy Jackson. Yeah, uh, yeah, we definitely should be. Uh, Australia has all the good stuff. There's obviously. a lot of really great bands out of Australia. <laughs> um, our next ear buddy is Lauren uh, with Guided by Voices, My Kind of Soldier.
she says the song My Kind of Soldier by Guided by Voices was written about a cute girl Bob Pollard saw wearing camouflage shorts sitting upon the shoulders of a man at a show. My first question was, is Bob Pollard Beetle Bob? Because I delved into the YouTube comments and of course they start talking about Beetle Bob and I was like, oh, I guess that's Bob Pollard. But it's not. Uh, it's some guy with like a mop top and he's like in his 60s and he's like this big deal in like St. Louis. Um... I know Guided by Voices is also another legit legend band, and I'm always ashamed that I don't know more of their catalog. Uh, this is very short and sweet, but totally fun indie rock. I'm not sure. I love that concept. It's like, ah, that's my kind of sh- soldier because it's like, oh, not really a soldier, just like somebody wearing camo. That's obviously like a rock show girl, and I think it's really cute. I'm into that. Yeah, I'm, I'm on record as not being a huge fan of Guided by Voices, but this song may be a very critical entry point for me because I really, really love the vibe of this one. And I'm thinking maybe I haven't given them a fair shake. Uh, I love the super simplistic kind of grunge pop progression. Uh, feels like basking in the sun and that subtle kind of wobbly guitars in the background give it some extra character and drama so that you don't get bored with the more minimal approach happening here. You know, I suppose since Guided by Voices has like 30-something records, I was bound to eventually find some songs that I liked, but uh, I'm not really looking forward to digging through all those records <laughs> to find the stuff that, that clicks. But if there's more jams like this one buried in the catalog, it, it may be worth the worth the effort. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't realize they had that many, like, albums. I know that they're, yeah. like, super seminal, and the people who like music like them, so I know that I'm supposed to, like, know more. But I... Is there any pop song that I know that's guided by voices? I'm sure that uh, I think there's a, a song that was featured on Scrubs uh, that was a guided by voices song that, you know, that's probably about as pop mainstream <laughs> as, as they got. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of any guided by voices songs that you would probably know, but it's probably because I've avoided listening to guided by voices for the most part. <laughs> You have not subjected me to it, huh? Right, yeah. Um, our next ear buddy is Joshua T, who brings Type O Negative's Bloody Kisses. This song was written about the death of Peter Steele's cat. Okay. On this podcast, it, there's audio record of you, Mitchell, saying that Peter Steele was a very attractive man. And yes, he is a very attractive man. But now I know that your attraction to him is because y'all have a mutual love for cats. <laughs> and that brings y'all together. You're both crazy cat men. Or, or you're still a crazy cat man. I'm, right, he yeah. was a crazy cat man. Yeah. But... I'm really concerned about this suicidal cat. First of all, how did this cat die? Okay. 
she she was apparently hiding a lot of pain, but that's what cats do. And but how does she kill herself? Just saying. I guess I'm not supposed to take it literally. But genius was no help in finding like the stuff. This is so freaking moody and like orchestral and like for this being metal, it's just like so accessible and his voice is like so nice. Like he's got an attractive voice. Peter Steele. That's a that he is a fascinating character in this show. Um <laughs> I, I didn't even notice that this is like a solid 11 minute song, but if you're, if I guess if you're really attached to your cat and she dies, then um, you're going to, you're going to like write an 11 minute epic gothic metal song. And apparently <laughs> it's the only thing to do. Yeah. And apparently people, um, people play this song whenever their cats die now. So, cause that's all that's in the oh, comments. Wow. It's like my cat just died and I played this song for her. And so, um, I believe you have a female cat named Data, right? Yep. And I mean, I know it's never going to happen, but when she passes, you should probably play the song. Yeah, I'm probably going to add this to the playlist for for that inevitable unfortunate day. Have some have some typo negative ready to go. <laughs> and then we will I guess we'll have to all gather around if we're still um you know, social distancing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I believe that my quote was that Peter Steele was, quote, a very handsome gentleman. Uh, and I do stand by that, even though he was he was a little Neanderthal looking, but he was just super tall, kind of muscly, had the long black hair. So if you're into that dark aesthetic in the early 90s, you're probably drooling over Peter Steele. And, and not to mention the most important trivia about Peter Steele, his appearance in Playgirl magazine, where he showed off what I understand to be a pretty impressive hog. And so that drove the goth folks, you know, pretty crazy as well. Uh, I never knew that this song was about his cat, and it definitely makes me relate a lot more to Peter Steele than I did before. Uh, I found a quote where he's saying, no one wants to hear a guy who's six foot eight with long black hair and fangs cry about his cat. So he made the song super metaphorical. uh, And I think that's, you know, that's lame because I would love to hear Peter Steele sing more openly about his cat. Um, I know another really cool piece of trivia off the same album. Uh, It has a cover of the Seals and Croft song, Summer Breeze. Summer breeze makes me feel fine. So is that the two uh, but, ladies on the front? No, but oh. um, but they 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 do a, a cover of that song. Uh, and originally they had made it their own and called it Summer Girl, but apparently the lyrics were all like really bawdy and and kind of ribald. So their uh, uh, Seals and Croft did not permit them to use that version so they had to go back and do a more straightforward actual cover of the song and i thought that was a pretty interesting bit of trivia but you can actually go on youtube and find the original uncensored summer girl <laughs> and uh, it's it's a really great song it's one of my favorite typo negative songs oh um did he have fangs yeah I, I can't remember if he actually like filed his teeth down or if he wore fake fangs but yeah that that was kind of an aesthetic he would uh he would wear fangs and typo negative was all goth looking and I like their aesthetic I do too they're yeah Charlie is our final ear buddy and he brought the Jesus lizard mouth breather.
Yeah, so, so Charlie didn't really write out the trivia for this one, but instead kind of posed the challenge of whether I knew who this song was about. And luckily for me, I had just watched a documentary that answered that very question um, to give a little bit of backstory in the thread this week to kind of get things started. Uh, I posted an album by the band Slint and gave a couple interesting facts about their band and that album called Tweez. Uh, it was recorded by legendary producer Steve Albini, who we've done an entire episode on. And uh, after recording, Steve Albini became really close acquaintances with Britt Walford, who was the drummer for Slant. So once, when Steve, Steve Albini went out of town, he asked Britt from Slant to house sit for him, and apparently Britt immediately lost the keys to the house and, like, broke down the door to get back in. And then instead of, like, fixing the door he just boarded the door shut with two by fours from the inside and then he he would just like come and go from a window upstairs and uh brit also accidentally busted the toilet in the house and it flooded like pee water into albini's basement uh where albini's studio was you know and so <laughs> after all this in a in a bemused conversation with david yao who's the singer for the jesus lizard uh albini albini told yao don't get me wrong brit's a nice guy i like him just fine but he's a mouth breather and so David Yao wrote this song, which pretty much chronicles Britt Walford destroying Steve Albini's house, which is hilarious. But who died in the kitchen? Okay, so that is the only bit of uh, poetic license taken in the song. The rest of it is pretty much directly taken from actual events. But that final line about the, finding the friend dead in the kitchen uh, is a bit of poetic license. Okay, so nobody died in Steve Albini's, like house and then like steve albini that we know it up (laughs) there's no like cover-up story with Britt walford taking like the getting thrown under the bus so cool correct correct this dude Britt, is rabid and feral i'm pretty sure how does one even do that to a door like just call triple a like the triple a you know there's always like a triple a locksmith in every town just call one of them and this is like a good song, but it's like even better story. I just, this story is great. Never going to let Britt Walford house it, my house. Yeah, ever. definitely don't. Just, it seems like a very bad idea. Like, I'm I'm pretty sure Steve Albini <laughs> didn't know he was feral when he let them uh, let him into his house. But Obviously you know, well, not. Well, he didn't even let him into the house. The guy just like, you know, just hand the keys over and then I don't know where that key went. I hope Steve Albini changed the locks while replacing his door. Um, yeah, that that's wild. That is just a wild story. So this week, if you want to um, tweet at us some other random trivia, you can tweet at us. I'm at Pow I Gotcha. And I'm at Adam Woolite. And the show is at END Pod. Uh, the Facebook group is Earbuds and Earworms Podcast Group. And the voicemail line is... 731-400-BUDS or... 731-400-2837. You can email the show with your um, small business scams and insurance fraud scams at endpod at gmail.com. And you can always check out the website, which magically is working since I called them out, endpod.com, <laughs> part of the 10710 network. Um, what is our final song this week? All right, I'm going to leave us uh, with another one of Jenny's picks since it was her theme this week, uh, and she submitted Charlie Crockett's song, Jamestown Ferry. Uh, she, yeah, she says, one of Davy, Davy Crockett's descendants, Charlie Crockett, makes music, and some of it's pretty darn catchy. Uh, 
we've had the song on the show before. Shout out to Mike Frizzell. Uh, but it's just too great not to include again. Uh, like Jenny said, the main trivia about Charlie Crockett is that he's a distant relative of Davy Crockett, who we all know uh, very well as the king of the <laughs> wild frontier. But Charlie Crockett's made a name for himself without needing to lean into that. Uh, he's super well-respected songwriter and like the folksy Americana scene. And it's easy to see why. Uh, this song's a cover of an old Tanya Tucker song, but I have to say Charlie Crockett just blows it out of the water. Uh, the production here is really dense and seamless. The harmonies are just perfection. And that steel guitar solo just steals the show. And there's also something very kitschy and characteristic about the way that he enunciates words, kind of like chopping the first consonant out and swelling into his words. It just does something to really wrench up the emotion in the vocals. Um, I know last time we featured this song, it was stuck in my head for weeks. So I hope that the Ear Buddies will join me in another week-long commitment of being helplessly stuck on Jamestown Ferry by Charlie Crockett. She just caught the Jamestown Ferry It's not a hot day, January Like she said it'd be If she ever left me A case of gone was all she carried As she got on the Jamestown Ferry And she said that gone I didn't think that she'd leave me After saying how much she'd need me But the fact still remains I'm sitting there all alone Missing the loving of my baby Lord, it's about to drive me crazy She was the sweetest piece of She just caught the Jamestown Ferry It's not a hot day, January Like she said it'd be If she ever left me A case of gone was all she carried As she got on the Jamestown Ferry And she said that gone was all she As I walk through that valley of honky tonks and bars, I remember how she'd hold me, comfort me with talk. She didn't cuss with every breath. She had a soothing southern dog. She just caught the Jamestown Ferry It's not a hot day, January Like she said it'd be If she ever left me